politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hello, friends and neighbors. Thanks for tuning in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK with Michael Benner. Super show for you today. Another famous author. You know him perhaps as Oprah's guru. He's the author of The Dancing Wooly Masters, The Seed of the Soul, and a brand new book we're going to talk about, The Universal Human. Gary Zukov, my guest today, as we talk again about the nature of consciousness. You know, this is not an easy concept to explore, to explain, to describe, or even define. Personally, I think of it sometimes as part of an evolution of understanding. And there is a hierarchy of understanding. It begins with data, and then information is the next rung on the ladder. After data, information, there's knowledge. Beyond knowledge is wisdom. Each of these, a different level of understanding, data, information, knowledge, and eventually wisdom. Well, all of that is overshadowed by awareness. What good is data that you're unaware of, or information or knowledge? It's all a function of awareness. And I think that may be the best synonym for the word consciousness. But there's also a refined quality of ethics, uh, an overarching moral imperative that goes with being ever more conscious. And we're going to talk about that today as well. This awareness of consciousness having an exalted set of values or ethics really informs the social justice movement and what it means to be progressive. Everything that this radio station, KPFK, is about. Progress, truth, justice, fairness, anti-racism, and anti-xenophobia and misogyny. These are more than places on a political spectrum, more than a reflection of our level of education. To develop consciousness is really to transcend the limitations and the boundaries of our animal nature, our human nature, if you will, and discover the philosophical, even spiritual roots of that to which we aspire to be better women and men, more connected to our mission to understand, to develop ourselves, to evolve our behavior in terms of the way we relate to each other, and to find our place in the world beyond being producers and consumers, beyond the earning and spending of the rat race or the, the treadmill existence that we so often complain about, where do we find real purpose and meaning in life? It's in evolution, really. It's, it's in growth. But in understanding what that means, it certainly doesn't mean material growth. We see no lasting value in being richer or more powerful in the traditional sense of what power means. Maybe there's another kind of power. Maybe there's another level of awareness to what it means to be human. And a whole new way of relating to the world. 
more conscious, more aware. That's what we're going to talk about today. And one additional side note, every so often we go into special fun drives to help support this listener-sponsored radio station, KPFK. I'd like to suggest that, in a sense, we're always in a fun drive. We're always in need of listener support. And so I'd have you consider that part of consciousness is recognizing, number one, your responsibility, and number two, the opportunity that's represented here to make a difference in the world by supporting what supports you. I was paying my cable bill the other day. You know, I've <laughs> I've paid between $100 and $200 a month for television. And how outrageous that is. I still have to deal with commercials on many channels. You can't watch YouTube without the videos being busted up randomly by these horrible, insulting commercials. And yet here you get KPFK, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, with no commercial announcements whatsoever. So won't you make a pledge, a contribution, or donation? You know, we're a 501c3. That means it's tax deductible. Simply call anytime, 818-985-5735, or point your browser to kpfk.org slash donate and make a nice contribution. So I want to give Gary as much time as I can. We're going to take a break early and then come back with two more segments. The well-known and highly regarded author Gary Zukov speaking about his brand new book, Universal Human, right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Ageless Wisdom on KPFK. To engage in any activity that shall contribute to a lasting understanding between nations and between the individuals of all nations, races, creeds, and colors. To gather and disseminate information on the causes of conflict between any and all of such groups and through any and all means compatible with the purposes of this corporation. To promote the study of political and economic problems and of the causes of religious, philosophical, and racial antagonisms. That is our mission. KPFK on your radio, you're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks very much for tuning in. You know, we're here every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock for all of Southern California on 90.7 FM, but also live streaming for the world at kpfk.org and podcast on all platforms. We also stream on demand at the website theagelesswisdom.com. Great show for you today. We're going to interview a fellow that's been with us before on KPFK, and you've probably seen him if you're interested in human potential and personal development, uh, spirituality, metaphysics, mysticism, any of this programming that is becoming increasingly popular. I think in the last few years, as people reach out and look for some non-political way around the anger and hatred, the divisiveness, and and just sort of mean and nastiness that is 
come into our politics and in many ways our daily lives. And so many people have said to me, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another way of looking at society, at uh, family, and perhaps most importantly, at, at our nature as individuals. Who who are we really? And why do we think and act and feel the way we do? And that's what this program is about. Here we're surrounded on KPFK by these programs on social justice and, and peace, all of which are just so important. And yet, what underpins it all? It's awareness. It's consciousness by any name. So in that sense, we've got another fine guest for you today. A fellow, as I said, who visited us, gosh, 15 years, 16 years ago, I think, and is back with us now. Gary Zukov, the author of a number of books. I first discovered Gary when he wrote The Dancing Woolly Masters in uh, 79, probably best known for your book, The Seed of the Soul. And uh, some people call you Oprah's guru. You're on Oprah for so many, so many times. Thanks for joining us on KPFK. It's really nice to see you again. Oh, it's great to see you, Michael. And I, I really appreciated uh, how you were starting because I also feel that um, consciousness is fundamental. I have always, as long as I can remember, wanted to go to the heart of the matter, whatever the matter was for me. So I wrote that book you mentioned, The Dancing Wooly Masters. It's about quantum physics and uh, relativity. And I wrote it because I wanted to express. Um, by the way, I'm, I was a liberal arts major, and I don't know mathematics. But I got invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory when I was in San Francisco, and they were discussing the question, are we creating the reality we're experimenting with? And that startled me because that was the question that I and some friends in coffee shops in North Beach were discussing. But these were world-renowned theoretical physicists. And that led me on a journey of learning what was exciting me so much that I heard in that meeting and that I could not explain to my friends. So I started reading. I asked if I could come back to their weekly gathering, and they said yes. And then I asked them if they would help me write a book to share with people who don't know anything about science, but they would like to know about this thing called quantum physics. They agreed, and I wrote it, and that book went. That book was so much fun to write because I discovered I couldn't share it until I understood it in its simplicity. And by that I mean free of jargon, free of the uh, professional language. And that book, to my surprise, to everybody's surprise, won the American Book Award for Science. It, it was on every book club and had a rave review in the New York Times the day before it was published. And I have always wanted to go to the heart. Since then, so many things have happened since you and I met. And I've come to realize that underlying everything in our world is consciousness. That's the heart of it. So I can spend my time pursuing the things that I love to do. I have been adopted years ago into Lakota culture, and so I'm familiar with our long history as a country, with uh, the Americans were here who were here before we arrived as white settlers, and how brutal and uh, lack of um, consideration and humanity 
is involved in that relationship on our part. I'm aware, as we all are, of what we have done as part of the global slave trade at the time that our country was becoming a country. In 1776, slave trade was huge. It kidnapped millions, millions of men and women in West Africa and brought them to South America and Europe and the American colonies as slaves, as captured animals. And the brutality of that, the horror of that, is something that we're just now beginning to become aware of. Uh, systemic racism in the American caste system. But I'm mentioning these things, and they're in my my, my book, The Uni- Universal Human, because the heart of them all, Michael, as you know, is not corruption, it's not policies, it is consciousness. Now, the thing that I most came on your show to talk about is it's a dying or a dead consciousness. It's a consciousness that built the world around us. It's a consciousness that's limited to the perceptions of the five senses, what we can see and hear and touch and smell and see. And the understanding of power in the old consciousness is the ability to manipulate and control. And I want to suggest that in my experience, in the experience now of hundreds of millions of people, a new consciousness is emerging in us individually and as a species. And this is the big news. There is a species-wide, unprecedented, epic transformation to human consciousness that's now occurring. And our ability to perceive has expanded far beyond the five senses. And our understanding of power has changed from manipulation and control to alignment of your personality with your soul, with the highest, most noble part of your personality that you can imagine. And the intentions of your soul are harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. Real power now, authentic power, is aligning yourself with that. This gives me the most joy to share. And as I do, though, I I want to suggest to our listeners that you not uh, believe anything that I say simply because I'm saying it, and I'm saying it on such a noble and established platform as Michael's Ageless Wisdom Show. I suggest instead that if you hear anything that I say that resonates with you, you experiment with it and see what it produces in your life. And if, if it produces something good and wholesome and healthy and vital and creative, then experiment some more. And in fact, I suggest that you not believe anything that anyone says just because they've got a television show or a microphone or a pulpit or they've written a book. Try it on in your life. Become the authority in your own life. And that's what happens as you create authentic power. And everything that I write about, speak about, and I and Linda Francis, my spiritual partner, my life partner, share has to do with these things that are simple to understand but more challenging to put into practice. Gary, it seems to me sometimes that the nature of the human being is to stand at a crossroads, especially at this point in a revolution, between an animal and a spiritual creature. It's an odd duality that 
I feel in myself at times pulled down, if you will, into an animal body with uh, desires that increasingly feel biological, you know, the desire to, well, survive, to eat, uh, to mate, um, fear to avoid, to run away from, to deny. And then at the same time, I'm working to become more familiar with a refined ethic that seems to continually unfold in my life to be more gentle and more aware, to be more empathetic and compassionate, uh, to embrace life, not only humanity, but uh, we recently did a, a program on animal equality, really interesting twist on the idea of animal rights, animal equality, and what does that mean? And I wonder how you feel about this idea that we're both, we're spiritual creatures in an animal body and have to somehow reconcile this conflict throughout life. Oh, Michael, that is so accurate uh, in my experience. And if for a moment you could allow me to suggest a temporary change in vocabulary, instead of saying animal, could we say for a moment five sensory? And instead of saying human, say for a moment multi-sensory. Multi-sensory means that we, in this new consciousness, which is now affecting so many of us, have acquired an expanded perception. We used to have a single perceptual system. The five senses, although they've got five parts, it's a single system, and its object of detection is physical reality. Now we're acquiring another sensory system. We're becoming multi-sensory. And we're seeing power as alignment of the personality with the soul rather than as manipulation and control. We were a five-sensory species that evolved by surviving and survived by pursuing external power, the ability to change the external world, to feed ourselves, to dominate others, to mate, to expand our reach and our control. Now we are becoming a multi-sensory species that evolves by growing spiritually and grows spiritually by creating authentic power. In other words, this new consciousness is a gift from the universe. Uh, all we have to do is unwrap it and use it. That's multi-sensory perception. And it brings with it a new potential. And that potential is authentic power. This potential requires commitment and courage and compassion and conscious communication and action to bring into being in yourself. That's the only place you can bring it into being is in yourself. And that means that moment by moment we are standing, just as you described so graphically, with one foot in one world and one foot in another, one foot in the old consciousness and one foot in the new. And we need to decide moment by moment I'll make it, I'll put it in first person, personally. Anger has been a big thing in my life. 
and was for decades. Now, when a part of my personality that's angry becomes activated, I can make a choice. Before, I became angry and I shouted. I told people why I was angry and why they were the reason and how what they had to do to change what they were and what they were doing. Because what they were and what they were doing was wrong and it violated my way of looking at the world and on and on. We're all familiar with that. Well, I lived it. Now, when a part of my personality that's angry becomes activated, I can look at it. I can look at it in terms of physical sensations in my body because I've developed that emotional awareness and we teach people how to do that. And then, by looking at my emotions, I create a gap between the impulse and the action. And that's what you can do. That's what everyone, that's what you do do because you've described this process. And I can either choose to react from fear or while I'm feeling the painful, magnetic attraction of shouting or withdrawing in jealousy or whatever that is, I can choose instead to respond in love which means to reach for the healthiest part of my personality that I can. For example, the part that I, parts that I experience, that we all experience, is gratitude, appreciation, caring, contentment, patience, awe of the universe, and act from one of those parts to the best that I can access it. And each time I do that, that creates authentic power. And as I do that again and again and again, as I've been doing, then gradually I found myself moving beyond the control of those, call them frightened parts of my personality. And those are the parts that I experience as anger, jealousy, vengefulness, resentment, superiority and entitlement, inferiority and needing to please, righteousness, and also every obsessive thought like, I've got to have her. I've got to be a millionaire by the time I'm 28. And every compulsion like perfectionism and workaholism and every addiction, which we all know or have seen, whether it is drugs or food or shopping or sex or pornography or gambling, anything in which we feel we are out of control, all of those we can put in one basket and call fear. And that's the opposite of love. And in love, we can put into the basket all of those parts of our personalities that experience the constructive kinds of encounters that we all want and long for, of contentment, patience, connection, gratitude, Gary, one of the models that you use that I think is critical is this idea of a uh, persona-soul alignment. Most of us in the West are taught in some Abrahamic tradition or other that the soul is indwelling and only indwelling. Uh, personally, I was raised as a Catholic. I still remember a picture in the catechism that portrayed my soul as being like a milk bottle that was dirty and stained from original sin. Imagine the soul being a 
sinful thing in need of redemption. I understand the persona, the ego side, being in need of, of redemption, but the idea that the soul is overshadowing. I go back to the great transcendentalist Emerson that wrote that poem or that verse about the oversoul. And, of course, the idea of the preexistent soul goes back to time out of mind, pre-Christian days origin. One of the fathers of the Christian church wrote about the preexistence of the soul. Not that they believed in reincarnation, but they saw us as a emanation or an extension of an oversoul that exists above and free of form. I heard you on Oprah one time call it the mothership. And <laughs> he talked about like these little drone UFOs that would extend down from the mothership. And I think this is critical, this idea that we have this guidance available if we learn to quiet the monkey mind, listen in meditation, contemplation, and reflection, ask for that guidance. There's great wisdom available to us, and I, I think that's our own oversoul. And I don't think it's stained or dirty or in need of redemption at all. Well, as we move into the new consciousness, which in my experience began about a generation ago, and within another several human generations will be a part of every person, every human, we can begin to see all the things you're talking about for ourselves. We don't have to believe. We don't have to hear and resonate. We can see it. And what we can see is that, well, let me give you some examples of multisensory perception. Have you ever thought to your, have you ever had the sense, and I'm not, this is not rhetorical, and this is not just to you, Michael, it's to everyone who's listening to us. Have you ever had the sense that you're more than a mind and a body? That you have a part of you that existed before you were born and that will exist after you die, after your personality goes home, after your soul goes home to non-physical reality. That is a multisensory perception. And it's just part of a myriad of multisensory perceptions. And as you begin to see that you do have an immortal aspect of yourself, and we're calling it the soul, as that reality becomes a factor in your life, then a question naturally comes up, well, what is my soul? And what does my soul want from me? And what can I do for my soul? And I'm suggesting that what you can do to contribute to the evolution of your soul is to align your personality with it, with its intentions of harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. And the only way to do that is to identify within yourself, in your personality, every aspect of your personality that does not, is not aligned with your soul. And those are exactly the parts that give you the experiences we described anger, resentment, vengefulness, jealousy, superiority, inferiority. Experience them fully. In other words, never to repress or deny or try to suppress an emotion, but experience every one of them fully, completely as you can. And you can do that by turning your attention inside yourself to certain areas in your body. I'll, I'll, I'll suggest three of them to start. Your chest area, your throat area, 
and your solar plexus area. And look for physical sensations, not say to yourself, well, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm manic. No, no, no. Look for physical sensations, such as sensations that throb, or ache, or stab, or burn, or churn, or press down on you. These are physical sensations, and if they're those physical sensations, and if your thoughts, by the way, are judgmental, then you know that fear is active in you. And if you put your attention inside of you to these different areas, and you find good-feeling physical sensations, the kind you want more of, then you know that love is active in you. Now, there's a reason for doing this. When you act on fear, on jealousy, anger, resentment, superiority, you create consequences for yourself that are painful and destructive. And when you act on love, gratitude, appreciation, patience, you create consequences for yourself that are constructive and blissful. So as you become aware of your emotions, you can call them, in a way, messages from your soul. The message is, fear is active in you or love is active in you. And that is so important to know because if you act on one, you create pain and destruction. If you act on the other, you create in your own life bliss and constructive consequences. In other words, we are describing now a process of developing mastery in your life, of being able to paint your life like an artist paints on a canvas except your canvas is your life the span of time between your birthday and your death day and the colors that you are painting with are your intentions as we become multi-sensory we see that we are not souls in a body we are bodies in a soul that we are incarnations of an aspect of our souls to which the soul has given parts of the personality that will incarnate, that orient in fear, and also the soul has given to the incarnation parts that are already aligned with itself, and those are the loving parts. We're going to take a short break, uh, Gary, and... uh We'll be back with more of this. I, I, I love this whole model. I think it's uh, maybe stunning to many in our audience. Gary Zukov is our guest today on KPFK. He's the author of The Dancing Willie Masters, You Know the Seat of the Soul. And Gary's got a brand new book we're going to talk more about called Universal Human. And we'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is KPFK. Hi, I'm Laura Flanders. Make your tax-deductible donation to kpfk.org today. Membership has privileges. Becoming a sustaining member of KPFK, keeping independent radio alive at kpfk.org. You can't beat it. Free speech radio can't survive without your generous support. So become a KPFK sustaining member right now. You can pledge as little as a dollar a day at kpfk.org. And thanks. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK, heard every Tuesday at 1 o'clock. A program about consciousness. You heard us say in the intro every week, 
we do this little announcement about beyond politics and above religion, there is a moral authority and imperative, and it's that consciousness is fundamental. We used to think of consciousness or, or maybe assume that it rises out of brain chemistry, and increasingly, Gary mentioned in the segment we just concluded, quantum physics, maybe we'll touch on that again, but even beyond that, there is increasing evidence that consciousness doesn't rise up out of anything material, quite the opposite, that there's nothing more fundamental than consciousness. And it's a difficult concept to talk about. I like using the synonym awareness or maybe even understanding, a quality of understanding that goes beyond knowledge to, as Gary was discussing, experience. You don't need to really believe anything once you have, <laughs> once you have the experience of some lid-lifting epiphany, some intuitive understanding exploding full-blown into your awareness, the issue is sort of settled, and then you step up another rung down the ladder and, and continue. Trust that. Believe in that. And stimulate it with what you read and what you hear from others. Gary, as you probably know, is the author of The Dancing Willie Masters from 1979, and uh, maybe even better known for his book, The Seat of the Soul, he has a new book called Universal Human, and we're discussing that today. It's not out yet, but coming out soon. Is that right, Gary? It is out. It came out on June 22nd. It's brand new, Michael. You can get it anywhere now. I'm so happy to say. I want to hear more about this multisensory model that you're talking about. We think of the human as having five senses, Sometimes we refer to intuition as the sixth sense. I never really understood that. I don't think of intuition as a sense. But your model in this new book is that there is, beyond all of that, a multi-sensory level of consciousness. Expand on that a little bit more, if you would. Multisensory perception is the perception that beyond five-sensory perception is everything more. Five-sensory perception is a limited perception. Multisensory perception is also limited, but much less limited. And beyond multisensory perception comes awareness that is even less limited. Universal human has to do with that also. We are evolving so quickly from five-sensory to multi-sensory humanity that it's startling, Michael, startling. Our evolution has ex extended over 300,000 years, or maybe 2.5 million years if you go back to the first hominoids. But now, within a few generations, human consciousness is transforming. From an evolutionary point of view, that's faster than an eye blink, faster than a heartbeat. And we're in it. We are in this time of transition. And our evolution is moving so quickly from stage one, you might say, to stage two, that even now, another stage is becoming not visible, not experienceable, but in some way entering our awareness. And that is the universal human. It's entering our awareness like the premonition of light before the dawn. 
I've been up so many times before dawn when the sky is black. And you can feel the dawn coming. You can't see it. There's not a glimpse of new light, but you can feel it. Well, that's the way it is with the universal human, the next stage of our evolution. It can't be explained. It can't be described. But some of the behaviors can be described. A universal human is authentically powerful. And we've been talking about authentic power and how to create it. And we talked about emotional awareness. And after that comes responsible choice. When you know that fear or love is active in you, then you can make a choice that creates consequences for which you are willing to assume responsibility. That's a responsible choice. You can choose to challenge fear, which means not act on it, or to cultivate love, if love is what is active in you, which means act on it consciously and mark it as something to return to and remember. So a universal human is authentically powerful. A universal human has developed emotional awareness, practiced responsible choice, created authentic power again and again and again and again. And in this way, has moved himself beyond or herself beyond the control of frightened parts of the personality. And love has begun to appear more and more in his or her awareness until it fills awareness. The characteristics of an authentically powerful personality are humbleness, clarity, forgiveness, and love. Love is the big one. And this is doable. Creating authentic power is now our evolutionary goal and requirement. Now comes our discussion of Universal Human and what this next book is about. And the first thing to say is that a universal human is authentically powerful. In other words, universal humans emerge out of authentically powerful humans. A universal human is beyond culture, beyond religion, beyond nation, beyond ethnic group, and beyond gender. A universal human is a human whose allegiance is to life first and everything else second. For example, if I were a universal human, which I'm not, there are no universal humans on the earth now, but there are emerging universal humans that are appearing everywhere. The Universal Human Book is dedicated to emerging universal humans. The Universal Human Podcast which I will be creating in the next month or so, is dedicated to emerging universal humans and talking to guests who I can see are emerging universal humans. And you can see in yourself are emerging universal humans. You may be an emerging universal human. This is what the podcast is for, to ask that question for you to answer in yourself. We've already touched on the idea that Emotional intelligence, expanded emotional awareness is in many ways a portal to spiritual development. The accountability and ownership of feelings, the abandonment of blame, and understanding that life really is two-way. I think a lot of people focus on what's done to us and not what we're putting out into the world, which is really the primary 
part of it, of, of that two-way exchange. One of the more difficult emotions, I think, to understand, I'll, I'll speak for myself, and maybe it's not even an emotion, is compassion. And I've heard you and Linda speak on your videos about compassion, and I'd like you to talk about it a little bit, because while it is challenging, a difficult concept, I think, to wrap our heads around, I mean, a quality or frequency of love that we don't see modeled very much in our society yet. An understanding of what it means can can be a real breakthrough, I think, for people in the way they, the way we live our lives. From your point of view, from your perspective, what is compassion? Compassion is what lies behind and beyond ignorance. Compassion is not an emotion, just as love is not an emotion. Compassion is an experience of what you are, what the universe is. You mentioned that people uh, look at themselves as, uh, you didn't use this word, but the term that comes to mind is victims of life. Things happen to them. When you look at your life that way, you cannot experience compassion. And you cannot experience compassion by changing the world because that has nothing to do with compassion. You can only create compassion by creating authentic power. And by developing emotional awareness that enables you to know when a current of energy that is destructive and painful is present in you and challenge it by not acting on it consciously. And when an emotional current of energy that is blissful and constructive is present in you and acting on it consciously, you create authentic power. This is a meditation, a lifelong heartfulness meditation. It's a heartfulness meditation because creating authentic power requires knowledge, but requires experience of the emotions, and that requires the heart. So we're talking about a heartfulness meditation, and it's that heartfulness meditation that leads you to the experience of compassion. And compassion for others is not different from compassion for yourself. If you have no compassion for yourself, you cannot be compassionate with others or experience compassion. Now, the frightened parts of your personality have no compassion. The ones that are jealous, angry, righteous. And as long as they control you, you cannot become compassionate. You cannot set the intention, I will become compassionate. I will become compassionate. You can do that, but it will do something surprising, Michael. When you invoke that kind of spiritual growth from the universe, the universe will present to you everything in your personality that prevents you from experiencing and living compassionately. And you may think, what have I done to my life? Everything has been turned upside down. All I wanted to do was create compassion. And the universe is bringing to your awareness every part of your personality that you must unearth and experience fully and challenge consciously to move in a new direction, a direction toward love, 
when you begin to see with multisensory perception, you'll see that love is far from anything like, I love you, I love this, I'd love for you to call me, even that. Love is, put a capital L on it, and that's the universe, with a capital U on it. Put a capital C on consciousness, and that's the universe. Put a capital L on life, and that's the universe. Consciousness, life, universe, love, they're the same to multisensory perception. This universe is a universe of consciousness. It's a universe of life. It's a universe of love. All of this is what multisensory perception allows you to begin to see. But multisensory perception does not make you compassionate or kind or wise. It makes you more aware. Then the question is, what are you going to do? with your awareness, as I've mentioned before. And I suggest using your new multisensory perception to develop emotional awareness, to look at the universe in a new way. Maybe it's not the way I learned in high school when I took my only physics course and I came away with the impression that the universe was vast, cold, merciless, and you had to have a spacesuit to even begin to venture out into it something that could transport your own life system into something you could take with you. The universe is life. The universe is consciousness. Now, when I have multisensory perceptions, and the first of them came when I was writing The Dancing Wooly Masters about quantum physics, and I realized after six chapters, six months of writing, And in each month, each chapter, I'd thrown away my outline and gone with the energy, gone with what was drawing me to write about itself. And then I saw that these six chapters fit together, not just sort of, perfectly. And I thought, how did that happen? And that's when I realized, because I'm not writing this book alone. And that's when I realized it's impossible to be alone. Every Creation is a co-creation. And I loved it. I loved what was happening in me. But this awareness that I allowed me to see this. I told one person, a friend, and she was a Jungian analyst. And she said, oh, Gary, be careful. You don't know what you're dealing with when you're talking about your unconsciousness. But I, I didn't buy that at all. <laughs> I wanted more of this. I knew what I was dealing with, and it was good. And I set the intention, Michael, to live my life the way this book was being written, which is spontaneously, intelligently, joyfully. And I've been able to move myself a little down that road since then. And that's what we're talking about. I'm surprised she said that to you because Young talks about exploring the shadow. He says that's where the treasure is hidden, is in the cave that you least wish to explore. Yes, he did. I, he, he did, Michael, and I'm so glad you're explaining this to your listeners. I've read almost every one of Carl Jung's book, The Great Swiss Psychologist, a contemporary of Sigmund Freud. But as great as he was, and as insightful as he was, and as multisensory, I think, as he was, I'm not talking about psychology. I'm talking about something far beyond your psychology. 
I'm talking about your experience as a multi-sensory human. This idea of compassion, I want to suggest that, again, speaking from my own experience, it was a breakthrough for me to understand that my anger, even my righteous indignation, that I felt justified being angry in certain cases, was in fact a defense mechanism. And in order to put that down, I had to allow myself to feel safe. So I think there's a great deal of vulnerability in becoming compassionate. I agree. For me, the source of all fear, destruction, emotional distress is the pain of powerlessness, and everyone has it. Five sensory humans and multi-sensory humans. The pain of powerlessness is wanting to belong and not belonging. It's wanting to be loved and feeling that you're unlovable. It's wanting to love and know that you're not capable of loving. It's not wanting anyone to know the way you really are inside. Because if you did, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. It's the feeling of being intrinsically flawed, inherently defective, and it's excruciating. When we were five sensory, we tried to mask the pain of powerlessness by changing the world. That's the pursuit of external power. Now that we're multisensory, we look inside at the internal origins of our emotional experiences and change them, challenge them or cultivate them. That is authentic power. And compassion is a product of doing that. In other words, I, I heard a story of Michelangelo once, um, and he's always interested me because I saw his some of his sculptures in Florence, Italy. One of them is a 17-foot-high statue called the David. And David, the David, is so real, Michael. His skin is so soft, so pliable. And I, like millions before me, have wondered, can this have been carved from marble? Is what I'm looking at stone? Now, that sculptor, Michelangelo, is said to have answered the question, how did you do that? How did you get that from a block of marble? And he said, I am told, I saw the David in the marble and I removed the excess marble, chip by chip, stroke by stroke. Your love and who you are is like that and it's encased in fear. By analogy, you could say, fear is the block of marble and you as pure love, as a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit is what's inside. And as you create authentic power, stroke by stroke, decision by decision, to choose to create with intentions of love instead of intentions of fear, you move beyond the encasement of fear. And what is revealed is what was already there. You're not creating compassion. You're not creating love. You're not creating yourself as a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit. You are revealing it 
That's a beautiful metaphor because it, it puts to rest this whole idea of attainment or how do I get there. You're already there. You already are that if you would but uh, focus on letting go of everything you are not. Yes, yes. The central point is exactly right, but it's not letting go. This is work. It's not like saying, well, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to let go of my anger. I found that that does not work because I cannot, you cannot, no one can decide what you're going to experience next emotionally, but you can decide what you're going to do when you experience it, and that's when the work begins. That's when the spiritual rubber meets the spiritual road. What are you going to do? I, I was this, I was addicted to sex for so much of my life. Now, and, and, and I didn't know that I was. I thought it was a good thing when my fiancé said, you, can, you better do something about this, not Linda, but someone long before her. And, and you've got a problem. And I said, no, I don't have a problem. I'm just a loving person. Whenever I'm in a hot tub with another loving person who's a woman, we have sex. Doesn't everyone do that? That's love. She said, no, it's not. And she was right. And I had no idea how wrong I was. Work is required. Every addiction is a frightened part of your personality, but the strongest frightened parts, the parts that seem to control you completely. And it's in that that you create authentic power in the healing of that. That's why I, I so much honor everyone who has healed an addiction, who has moved beyond it, because that is a powerful, one of the magnificent spiritual achievements in one's life. It's doing what we've been talking about from the beginning of our conversation, creating authentic power, confronting your greatest inadequacies, along with every other of your inadequacies, and replacing them choice by choice with love. An intention, by the way, Michael, I'd like to share with our listeners, is the quality of consciousness that infuses your words or your deeds. And when that quality of consciousness is love, it produces all of the beneficent, constructive and healthy and sane consequences in your life. And when the quality of consciousness that infuses your words and deeds is fear, it produces all of the unhealthy, painful, destructive consequences in your life. Gary, I wish we had more time. This is just wonderful. I so appreciate your uh, willingness to take the time to be with us today on KPFK and visit us. May I invite people to the Journey to the Soul, which is an event that Linda and I are giving July 21st to the 25th. And it's live, it's online, and you can go to seatofthesoul.com to find out all about it. This is what I live to share, to contribute to the growing awareness of the new consciousness. And more than that, helping people who are resonant with it put it into practice in ways that are experimental, not dogmatic. And so I invite everyone who is listening to come and be with Linda and me uh, July 21st to the 25th, 2021. And also to look at Universal Human, if I've said anything that is helpful to you there, and explore it yourself. And I'm so grateful to be with you, Michael, again. Well, thank you. We, we need to do this more than once every 20 years, so. <laughs> oh, we do, we do. 
We do, Michael, and and, and I, it's been a pleasure to talk with you because you know these things. You know them. They they inform your life. They inform the guests that you select. I can tell, as we spoke so many years ago, and it's even more evident to me now. So there are other ways of looking at this, but there's only one way of doing it. Trans- self-transformation requires awareness of your emotions. It requires your free will, and it requires your commitment, courage, and compassion to create the life that's calling to you. And the only thing that's preventing you from giving the gifts that you were born to give, that's the life that's calling our choices, your choices. Thank you again, Michael. I am so grateful to that you are putting thoughts such as these, which are ours, onto the airwaves and onto the Internet and into your life as I'm striving to put it into my life. Well, thanks. It really, you know, people say it's a privilege. It really is a privilege. And uh, at the same time, I feel like I have no choice. Once you hook into this, the meaningfulness is of such a quality that I feel compelled to learn all that I can to put it into practice in my life that I might be able to recognize the information that you're sharing and, and others who are sort of pioneers, uh, you know, the Lewis and Clark, the Magellan of uh, this new era, exploring these frontiers. And uh, gosh, what is what is so exciting about human beings evolving from microbes, primates swinging down out of the trees, manifesting all this wonderful technology, then realizing the side effects of it, and then now to be in an era where we're moving beyond all of that to the study of consciousness and and awareness and truly connecting to the universe. As you say, not outer space with spacesuits and oxygen bottles, but the inner space that leads us to an understanding that there's just one of us here that uh, everything touches everything else. And there's nothing more joyful, more liberating, more glorious, really, than recognizing that the universe, one thing spinning around, the universe really is one thing. Oh, it's a joy to talk with you, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing these things. Give our love and regards to Linda and uh, seatofthesoul.com for more information, right? That's right. Best of luck with your event, and we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Peace and blessings. I like that, Michael. Please tell Doreen hello for me and for Linda. Let's stay in touch. I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you, sir. Likewise. Podcast on all platforms. You can also hear the show on theagelesswisdom.com. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner.